Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service. I'm sorry I couldn't be here in person. Um, as many of you know, my family is one of several in the area that's been struggling with COVID this week. Um, thanks so much for all of your care and concern. Sometimes it's moments like these that um, the care of our brothers and sisters really starts to mean so much. It's really used by God for the encouragement of his people. So thank you so much for effectively walking that out with my family this week, and I pray that other families in our congregation and in our community are experiencing the same level of love and care. Um, so far, I'm still healthy, but uh, out of an abundance of caution, I'm trying to preach virtually here just so I'm not running the risk of exposing anyone if I have COVID as well. So as we enter our service this morning, um, this morning's passage, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8. Um, here the author sums up some of what I've already been talking about, and he goes into more detail as to what it looks like that Christ be the priest of a better covenant. If you've been tracking as we've walked through Hebrews, especially in the last couple months, you might be wondering why our author seems to be beating this drum so hard. What is the benefit of harping on this new covenant? Well, to answer that question, you have to understand the history of the country of Israel and the Hebrew people. Some books of the Bible seem to be a little bit more isolated than others. Um, certain epistles in particular seem to stand alone quite easily. But for a book named Hebrews, you have to understand what it meant to be a Hebrew. These were people identified as God's covenant people. The covenants made by God were a core part of their very existence as a nation. The Hebrew people built their entire society around four core covenants that God had made with his people. Each of these covenants overlapped and interlaced to form the pattern on which the whole nation of Israel would be built. These four covenants, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant, would have been the defining characteristics of the Hebrew people. I don't know if there's anything we have as Canadians and in Canadian culture that even comes close to this. We have stereotypes of the polite Canadian, and we have the military stereotype of Canadians as peacemakers or peacekeepers, but I'm not sure we have anything quite so foundational to our being as these covenants were to the Israelite people. But if you think of the paradigm of the patriotic American, maybe the American Constitution would come close or for the hardcore English monarchist, the royalty of the British Empire might compare. These are documents or institutions that if they're removed, the person would be left totally adrift. What would the patriotic American do if the Constitution were totally abolished? What if the monarchy was totally disassembled? For these people, the answer would likely be that it's just inconceivable. It couldn't happen because there's no way for them to fathom their country and their people without it. And this is how the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, 
would have felt about God's covenant in the Old Testament. No covenant, no Israel. So it's not surprising that our author wants to drive home the point of this new covenant and the abolishment of the old covenant. To rewrite something that is thousands of years in the making that was so core to the faith and identity of an entire people is no easy matter. So that being said, would you please turn with me to chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews. Again, we're going to read the 8th chapter of Hebrews. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this high priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is God's word. We're not left hanging. We're not left to wonder what the core thought is in our passage. He opens, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. But such as what? Such as one who is after the order of Melchizedek. Such as one who is priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Such as one who was made a priest with an oath from the Lord. Such as one who holds his priesthood permanently. Such as one who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Such as a son who has been made perfect forever. Such is the type of high priest that we have. And this high priest is the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, 
that the Lord set up, not man. That last phrase is key to our entire chapter today. The true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Not only to make the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, or the only way to make that transition is to demonstrate that the new covenant isn't in fact a total departure from the old covenant, but instead it comes as the culmination of it. The constitution isn't being abolished. The monarchy isn't being disassembled. Instead, it is becoming what it was always intended to be. The old covenant was never meant as a permanent solution. There was always the expectation and hope of something greater yet to come. But after thousands of years, the thing designed to point towards the truth of the coming Messiah had become the very thing that caused people to crucify the one that they were waiting for. I'm going to switch metaphors on you here. I know that we have some avid readers among us, and I hope that some of you have the pleasure of reading rec recreationally. I make no secret that the fictional book series that has had by far the greatest impact on my life is J.R.R. Tolkien's masterwork, The Lord of the Rings. Originally written as a single book and eventually split into three smaller volumes, The Lord of the Rings is one of the best-selling books ever written, with hundreds of millions of copies sold. The depth and richness of the writing and the backstory, as well as the themes that are woven throughout, make it one of the all-time pinnacles of fiction. Then you have the Lord of the Rings movies, almost $3 billion worldwide, 17 Academy Awards, and unsurprisingly, one of my favorite film series. Part of the beauty of the films is that they remain fairly close to the source material of Tolkien's work in most respects. But if push came to shove, I would, in a heartbeat, destroy every copy of the movie ever made to keep the books in circulation. Why? Because without the books, there could be no movies. Without the books, there's no pattern to model afterwards. It shouldn't be too difficult to see where I'm going with this. The Old Covenant with its tabernacle and temple and sacrifices and priests, it's all secondary material. It's not bad, it's not wrong, but it's modeled after something better. Any fan of fictional books knows that if they go to watch a movie based on one of their favorite books, that they should keep their expectations in check because things are going to change. The difference in mediums and attention spans and the limitations of visual storytelling limits what a movie can do. There will be storylines cut for the sake of time. There will be dialogue added to explain backstory. There will be casting choices that you might not agree with. Movies may be good, but there are precious few movies who come even close to meeting, meeting the standard of the books that they're based upon, much less exceeding them. This is because as copies, they're inherently limited in what they can do. They will always be compared to the source material because the source material is the standard. The audience of Hebrews was being warned against a manner of thinking that had started measuring 
the book against the movie rather than the other way around. The heavenly temple, the heavenly priesthood, and the one sacrifice was the source material for the old covenant system, not the other way around. Our author this morning says of the tabernacle and the priests and the sacrifices, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. We don't know the exact details of what Moses was shown on Mount Sinai. But we do know that by the work of the Spirit, what came out of that vision was the old covenant system of tabernacle, priests, and sacrifices. When the audience of Hebrews is being discouraged by our author from returning to that old covenant, they're being reminded that the old covenant that they are steeped in is itself an imperfect copy. And then he tells them that Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old covenant. He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. That's the linchpin between the whole issue between the Jewish believers and the Hebrew Christians. The first covenant that the people of Israel had built their whole existence around was faulty from the very beginning, and it was faulty on purpose. As people who occupy the era of single-use plastics and planned obsolescence, this should make every sense to us. Companies design their products with a fail-by date. They plan on selling you a new dishwasher every 10 years at the most or a new cell phone every five years. And that's by design. And by design, God saw fit to design the old covenant with its own fail-by date. The old covenant expired upon the rollout of the new. But who's to say the old covenant was faulty? In typically amazing fashion, our God included in his replacement plan in the Old Testament itself. The Old Testament was the authority for those who grew up in the Old Covenant. So our author doesn't quote any of the New Testament authors or letters or even Jesus himself. The New Testament of Scripture wasn't um, assembled yet, but any of the writers in there would have been suspect from the get-go because they're already from the new school of thought. They're the ones who stand to benefit from the new way of thinking. Instead, our author returns to the prophet Jeremiah. This would have been an irrefutable source from the canon of the Old Testament Scripture. The prophet speaking the words of God. He says, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This new covenant is made with Israel, specifically the house of Judah. That in itself lays aside an argument that was raised in verse 4, If he were on earth, he would not have been a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. As a member of the tribe of Judah, Jesus was disqualified from that priesthood by the law. But in this new covenant, that is rewritten. Indeed, the old covenant perishes because it was first broken by the Hebrew people. They did not continue in my covenant, and so I show no concern for them. The new covenant is one that deals with more than the ceremonial or outward cleansing. It does more than just symbolizing change. No longer will you be like the Pharisees washing the outside of a dirty cup. Instead, this covenant is one where God himself takes hold of the hearts of his people, whereby the Holy Spirit acts upon those of the house of Israel to put his laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And who are the people of Israel? Remember Galatians 3, which says clearly, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Upon those of the faith, the Spirit will move to place the very word within and upon their hearts. And with no uncertainty, the Lord proclaims, I will be their God and they shall be my people. The audience of this book are people who are used to seeing Pharisees wearing what we call phylacteries, leather boxes with Scripture verses strapped to their foreheads and to their left arms. This was a pretentious outward display that was condemned by Jesus in Matthew 23. He comes against them saying, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. No longer is it about outward religion. No longer just saying, know the Lord, but actually knowing him in our hearts. For in his mercy, God has chosen to be merciful towards their iniquities, towards our iniquities, and to remember our sins no more. And then in closing, our author recaps, in speaking of a new covenant, He makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant is not just lesser than, a still good but outdated option. It is totally obsolete, no longer viable, defunct, and as such is meant to disappear entirely. 
replaced by the new and glorious covenant of whom Christ is our priest. Brothers and sisters, as I've said before, you and I have likely never been in danger of falling back into the old covenant. But at least those from the old covenant had the excuse of a legitimate, God-breathed scriptural command, obsolete as they may have been recently made. But we have no such excuse. Instead, some of us, we don't go to the source material. We don't even go to the copy of that source material. Instead, we try to do the knockoff, the, the DVD being sold on the street corner, the obvious ripoff that everything is wrong. Some of us have adopted this man-made, works-based covenant, trying our level best to earn the forgiveness and righteousness that it took God sending his own son to achieve. If we could earn it, why on earth would God have bothered sending his son? No, instead, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no man may boast. Too many in the church just pass each other by and say, know the Lord. Just parroting the Christianese, saying the right words and acting the right way, but never knowing him. Never receiving the mercy and forgiveness that is offered to those who are truly God's people. These are the Pharisees washing the outside of the cup. By God's grace, this new covenant is given to us. God's people today, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Is God's law written on your heart? not just memorized, but lived and acted upon, impressed into your very being. Do you realize that the level of personal relationship that the old covenant high priest had with God is so far in the rear view of even the most newborn of Christians today? The intimacy with God available to us as believers is the kind of thing that was inconceivable prior to the coming of the Messiah. We don't need people to just say, know the Lord to us because we can actually personally know Him. By prayer and the Word, we have intimate discourse with Him. By the Holy Spirit, the very God we worship is abiding within us. All of this new covenant is mediated by our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Our Savior is actively today mediating to allow us the type of access that no one 
has ever had nor could they have had outside of Christ. Remember how I said that for the Hebrew people, no covenant, no Israel? Well, no new covenant mediated by a perfect high priest, no church. Much more than the most rabid monarchist or the most diehard constitution-loving American, we should be totally unable to fathom a life that isn't in every way wrapped in the significance of the covenant that Christ has inaugurated. It should be absolutely beyond the pale for us to even consider a life outside of that. This covenant is spoken of in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the promise for those who have confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior. For Christ's sake and for his own glory, God has been merciful towards our iniquities, and he has promised that he will remember our sins no more. And to his name we ascribe all the glory that is due. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to honor and worship you. Absolutely in awe that you would set in place a new covenant that completely rewrites our access to you. That we might come before the throne of your grace to receive help in our time of need that we might worship you here in spirit and in truth, knowing that you are even now here among us. God, may we not be tempted to create our own covenants, to build for ourselves our own means and methods of following you that seem good to us, but fly totally in the face of what you, you have done in Christ's work. God, we trust our congregation to you. We trust each one here to you, and we ask that you would use this message to impress on our hearts the value of the gospel and the work of Christ. Lord, we pray that in the coming weeks that we might be able to gather together again in a bit more of a normal fashion, that many of the friendly faces who are missing here this morning 
would be able to gather together as brothers and sisters in worship of you. Praise things in Jesus' name.